0: This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series, Distinctives, looking at eight distinctive character traits of us both individually as followers of Christ and collectively as the body of Christ, and then looking at our unique expressions of those distinctives here. And we began by looking at, at worshiping together and praying together. We've looked at hospitality, and then last week, uh, Pastor Rob showed us uh, about service as we installed our, our first four deacons. And this morning, we're going to look at the distinctive of generosity. And, and if we're honest, when you hear the word generosity, you probably think of money, And and as followers of Jesus, we are called to be generous with our finances, recognizing that, that every penny in our possession is a gift from God that we are to hold with open hands. But to limit it to money would be too narrow of a view. See, we're called... Not just to be generous with our finances, but to be generous with our everything, including ourselves, holding everything with an open hand and seeing every aspect of our life as a gift from our gracious God to use for his glory and the good of others. And and so when I think of this fuller view of generosity, I think of this passage in Matthew 25 that Kay read to us this morning. uh, I think of those six statements that Jesus made that now line our windows out in the lobby. A passage that reminds us of what it looks like to live generously, living for the good of others, not just with our finances, but with our everything. And so to set the stage for this passage, it's, it's Tuesday of Holy Week, and Jesus, he's, he's led his disciples out of the temple uh, across the Kidron Valley and up uh, to the top of the Mount of Olives, where he taught them about the events that would take place leading up to and upon his return. And this, this teaching is what we refer to as the, um, the fifth teaching discourse in Matthew's gospel, known as the Olivet Discourse. Yes, yeah, she found um, all about the Olivet Discourse on the web. And he tells a series of parables that contrast two different types of people. He tells the parable of the ten virgins, contrasting those who are ready and prepared for the bridegroom's return and those who are not. He tells the parable of the talents, contrasting servants who were faithful with their master's property that he had entrusted to them, even giving back the master more than what he had given them when he returned, and those who were not faithful, those who did nothing with what had been entrusted to them. And through these parables, he's teaching us and showing us what he expects of us as his followers and how we are to live until he returns. And when he returns, Jesus says here in in Matthew 25, verse 31, he says, when the son of man comes comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne." And he's referring here to a vision given to the prophet Daniel. Once again, showing how he fulfills the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. He is the one to whom they all point. And when our king returns, he'll be alive and and victorious. And all of heaven will descend with him. the fullness of God's kingdom finally having arrived. As our king sits on his glorious throne, And when he does, Jesus says that all of the nations will be gathered before him, right? Every person who has ever lived will stand before the king and be judged. It's the very scene described by prophets such as Joel and Zechariah. It's the very thing that we just recited in the Apostles' Creed this morning, right? After his resurrection, Jesus, he ascended into heaven and today at this very moment is seated at the right hand of the Father, of God the Father Almighty, Right? victorious over death, reigning over creation, and awaiting his return when he will come to judge the living and the dead. And when he returns, Jesus says that he'll separate people one from another, separate them into two groups, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, placing the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He'll separate the people just like, um, just like the sorting hat separated first years at Hogwarts into their houses, right? Harry Potter into Gryffindor, Draco Malfoy into Slytherin. Two groups, clearly distinguishable from each other, not just because of the robes they wear. Kind of like the two groups he just got done telling about in the parables. Two groups of the virgins, those who were ready for the bridegroom to return and those who were not. Two groups of servants, those who were faithful with what the master had entrusted with him until his return, and those who were not. And after Jesus has sorted this out, after he has judged, he'll say to those on his right, those standing in, in the place of honor, just as Jesus today sits at the right hand of the Father, extending them an invitation, saying, come, come, you who are blessed by my Father, Come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's as though he's an estate attorney reading a a will of a loved one who's passed away to the family that's gathered and and letting everyone know what it is that they will be inheriting. Uh, Now, one of my boys, they don't know this yet. They're finding this out at the same time as you. Um, One of them is going to be inheriting my leather saddleback bag, Uh, And their tagline is they'll fight over it when you're dead. Out of love for my boys, I'm just gonna give it to one of you and you're not gonna fight over it when I'm dead. Only this inheritance that Jesus is talking about, mind you, it's a really great leather bag, um, this is even better. It's an inheritance that the apostle Peter would go on to describe as imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. It's the inheritance of this promised kingdom having come in full. Jesus righting every wrong, restoring all that is broken, all of creation fully restored and once again very good just as it was in the very good beginning. But how does he do this? We know how the sorting hat sorts first years into houses at Hogwarts. But how does Jesus determine who will stand to his right in this place of honor, inviting them into his kingdom? And who will stand on his left? How does Jesus determine that? It might not be the way that you might think. Jesus says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Don't just notice what he said. Also notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say anything about a certain spiritual gifting, uh, placing those who speak in tongues, for example, on his right, everyone else on his left he didn't say anything about obtaining a certain level of theological knowledge, right? Having all the right answers, never having any doubts. He didn't say anything about adhering to a certain set of doctrinal beliefs. He he didn't say anything about obtaining a certain level of spiritual maturity as though he was setting some sort of quota for church attendance and your quiet time. Jesus, he didn't say any of that, did he? See, these these people on the right, these weren't extraordinary people who went and did extraordinary things, like some sort of exclusive group of elites, limited to those who solved world hunger and performed miraculous healings. No, these people that stood to his right, they were rather ordinary people who went and did rather ordinary things, some having absolutely no theological training whatsoever, many probably not. Some illiterate, never having opened a Bible in their life. Some having questions, even doubts. Yet all having been captivated and transformed by the love of God. An incarnate love that that didn't sit on the sidelines waiting for us to come to him asking for help. No, a love that came down to us in our Need a love made manifest in Jesus, John says. So those who were placed to his right, those invited by the king to inherit his kingdom, were those who had encountered Jesus, who had experienced the love of Jesus, formed into his image by faithfully following his way in obedience to his words, reflecting a love of they had received by loving their neighbor and loving their neighbor as themselves. Loving those whom God had placed in their lives and loving them like Jesus, loving them the way Jesus loved them. Because that's what generosity is, isn't it? It is a response. Generosity is a response to the love God has shown you and the blessings he has bestowed upon you. Sharing that love with others, sharing those blessings with others. See, generosity, the way that Jesus defines it here, it's providing those in need with the things they need, not just to survive, but to thrive, things that I think we often take for granted, things like healthy food and clean drinking water and warm clothes. Generosity is about caring for people who are ill, who are suffering, who are grieving, entering into their pain and providing them comfort, even if it's only through your presence. Generosity, it's about going to those in the margins of society, the neglected, the forgotten, the outcast, including those in prison. And going to them whether you believe they are deserving or not and going to them whether they are remorseful or not. And generosity is about inviting people in who have no place to go. Inviting them into your home, inviting them into your lives. And and this is about way more than letting your, your friend crash on your couch when he's in town no this is about welcoming the stranger and the sojourner this is about caring for the orphan and the widow and the most vulnerable among us the very things God has commanded of his people one commentator paraphrased this saying you brought me into your family circle you took me into your family I can't hear the words of Jesus here without thinking of Fred and Judy Hardman. They, um, an incredible couple who passed away earlier this summer, just days apart. Because that's exactly what they did. Bringing 89 foster babies into their family circle. No, that's not a typo. 89 foster babies into their family circle and adopting two into their family forever. Forever. 89 lives forever changed because of their generosity. This was a couple who was generous, not just with their money, but with their time, with their home, with their family, with their everything. That's the generosity Jesus is describing here. I also want you to know, Jesus, he's not saying anything new or novel, though. He's just saying what God's always said, caring for the poor and caring for the needy. Uh, Ronald Sider, in his book, Uh, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, moving from affluence to generosity, he writes, hundreds of biblical texts tell us that God still measures our societies by what we do to the poorest. He goes on to say that since God cares so much for the poor, it is hardly surprising that God wants his people to do the same. And and so, so make no mistake, we cannot turn a blind eye to the needs of those around us, failing to be generous in the way we live, in the way that we vote, and at the same time claim to be followers of Jesus, Because, as as his own half brother James wrote, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If you see someone who's hungry and you don't give him anything to eat, if you see someone in need of clothing and you don't give him anything to wear, you you do do nothing, what good is that? And he says, faith by itself, if it does not lead to love, is dead. Meaning those who profess faith in Christ but fail to live out their faith, fail to love their neighbor, have a dead faith that is of absolutely no eternal value to themselves or to anyone else. And will find themselves standing to the left of Jesus when he returns and when he judges, saying to them, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And here's why he says this. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. That's what he says to those on the left. That's what he says to those whose faith led to nothing because it was a different kind of faith, a dead faith. But those on his right, he, he refers to them as the righteous. Those who have been invited by their king to inherit his kingdom, this group, they are beyond grateful. And at the same time, they're entirely confused. They don't get it. They're like, what did we do? They didn't understand what they had done to have deserved such an incredible blessing from God. And so they asked Jesus here in verse 37, they says, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? D- do you think you would know if you came across Jesus and gave him a sandwich? When, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? You're gonna remember who you welcomed into your home. When did we see you naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? It wasn't as though they had forgotten that they had done these, any of this. They just didn't remember ever having done any of it for Jesus, right? They were just going about living their lives, living out uh, the great commandment, loving the neighbor as themselves. All right, if you um, if you've ever served in the pantry, you, you may remember names and faces of some of the people that you were able to speak with that you were able to pray with, that you brought diapers to, but I doubt you remember seeing Jesus pull up in a car on a Saturday morning giving him a pack of diapers. But it's also not like Jesus went undercover, disguising himself as a homeless man, just to see how the church responds as some sort of test. Not Jesus. He, He responds to those on his right. Those who have lived a life of generosity, and he says to them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me, he says. So make no mistake, when Jesus returns, we will be judged by how we have stewarded all that God has entrusted us with if we have been generous with the blessings he has bestowed upon us, we will be judged and we will be held accountable for the way that we have lived and the way that we have loved. Loving our neighbor, especially our neighbors in need, the forgotten neighbor, the neglected neighbor. But let's also not miss something Jesus is saying here. Generosity is never for our own good and our own glory. Generosity is not something that we uh, do to be seen by others, knowing, quote, the freedom and dignity of the person being helped should be respected with the utmost delicacy. And the purity of one's charitable intentions should not be stained by a quest for personal advantage or by any thirst for domination. Amen. That was written by the Second Vatican Council in 1965. Meaning that whenever we serve someone because of what we think they can do for us or what that might mean for us, serving others in order to be seen, we have failed to love like Jesus. That is not generosity. That is selfishness. That is pride. That is arrogance. And our self-righteous deeds, Isaiah says, are stained like a filthy rag. Denying the dignity and the humanity of the one in need, and viewing them nothing as nothing more than a means to an end, rather than a fellow image bearer. And so, the question before each and every one of us this morning is this: How will you live until Jesus returns? How will you respond to the love that Jesus has shown you? How will you respond to the blessings God has bestowed upon you? How? Will you respond with the gifts God has entrusted to you? How will you respond? I know how we as a church responded collectively a while back. We responded by taking our greatest step of generosity in our greatest moment of need. Uh, We began as 26 people in the living room in February of 2009. We had no external financial support of any kind. And in our second summer uh, my spreadsheet showed that we were gonna run out of money in about three months. And a couple of us, I was still working for role at the time, a couple of us were able to cover the deficit for a period of time as we reached out to other uh, larger churches asking for help, asking for support. And I remember one church responding, saying that uh, we would be welcome to fill out the application for next year's budget. Our response was, we ain't gonna be around for next year's budget. And that's when we began a ministry that we've always called Helping Churches Thrive, so that we could help other churches thrive in the way that we needed help, helping them when they're in need. And we didn't go about funding this reactively, taking up a special collection whenever there was a need. No, we went about this proactively. Proactively. Making generosity a regular rhythm for us as a church, a part of who we are, a part of our DNA. And so we began to set aside at least 10% of our giving every month, even in the months when we ran a deficit. Before you put the slide up, you want to guess how much you have contributed to helping churches thrive in the last two years? Over $171,000. And I say that not to brag on what we did. kind of say that to brag on what he did. You've contributed over 171,000 dollars to helping churches thrive in the last two years, and we've given away 125,000 of that. We've given 71,000 to churches in need uh, to formation church in Salt Lake City that our planting pastor Ryan went to plant. That's where I was uh, uh, at preaching last weekend. We gave money to Redemption Church in Belvedere uh, for a down payment on their new home. We gave to Forge uh, City Church in Lexington, Kentucky when they had a little bit of a gap they needed to close in order to launch. We gave money to Anchor Church down in Champaign when they had a deficit and we were able to close that for them. And we've given aid to churches in Haiti and Ukraine. We've given $54,000 to our partners that are supporting churches and supporting pastors. Partners like uh, David Pater, who was here a few weeks ago, who's a pastor at a church in Toulouse, France, or Tim Beavis, who uh, travels the world training pastors, often in closed countries and doing it in secret, as well as Converge, the church network that we are part of, supporting them as they start new churches and strengthen existing churches. But generosity is about more than just money, isn't it? We're not only generous with our money, we've been, we've tried to be generous with whatever we have. Uh, not long ago, we sent a couple of the projectors that we remember when we had the projectors on the stands. You know where those projectors are? They're in Togo, they're in Africa. Godier got us hooked up with a church that needed some projectors, so we sent those over. We, we sent old coffee crafts when we got our new coffee system here, they're at a church in Detroit. Remember that truck and trailer we used to have that we had to load and unload and then load and unload every Sunday? Praise Jesus that's gone and we have a home. Amen. That's in Salt Lake City. And then we've been able to host events for Converge, pastor's conferences, a couple times this year here in our home. And then in spring of 2019, I began praying about how we could grow and being more generous, not just with other churches, but with our community. And, and on my, my board, in my study, I, I wrote care and compassion. I had three things that I was uh, praying about, and one of them was care and compassion. And I kid you not, it was like a couple weeks later, uh, Amrtha comes and finds me at this March Madness event we did, and she's like, Pastor Ash, can we talk? And I was like, uh-oh. And uh, she shared that um, she and Sarah had been reading this book by Tim Keller called Ministries of Mercy, The, the Call of the, the Jericho Road. And in reading this together, they felt this call to do something for our community, but they weren't sure what. And I was like, can I show you something? And I brought her up to my study, and I showed her the board, and I told her about what I had been praying about while they had been reading about it. It was one of those God moments, you know? God was moving. And so we began praying to just simply be obedient to his leading, asking what is it God is inviting us to as a church? And we followed a mantra that I have. I didn't have it at the time, but we were following it anyway, uh, of starting small, going slow, and keeping it simple. Those are three words that I think describe our church. Small, slow, and simple. I like those words, by the way. I don't view them as negatives. I view them as very positive And so that fall, we began a new ministry called Hands and Feet, which can we acknowledge is a way better name than Care and Compassion. Thank you, Sarah and Umritha. And we began setting aside at least 5% of our giving with absolutely no idea what that money was for. It was kind of a Genesis 12 moment where God called Abraham to get up and go, but he didn't tell him where, at least not yet. But it eventually became clear where God was leading, and in March of last year, we opened the pantry We've opened it every third Saturday since then to distribute diapers and wipes and clothes and supplies for babies and kids to families in need right here in our very own community, loving our literal neighbors as ourselves. And in the last two years, you have contributed over $100,000 to Hands and Feet, and we have given away over $72,000. We gave over 25,000 to various partners over the last two years. We contributed to journeys and their emergency shelter program as they put up uh, those without homes in, in a hotel. We were able to fund a hotel room throughout the entire pandemic. We've supported LSSI's therapeutic foster care program. Whenever we go to feed my starving children to pack meals, we pay for everything, we pack. And we support Kimmy Taylor, who uh, works for City Changers, serving the poor and the vulnerable in, in Dallas. Kimmy is Fred and Judy's granddaughter. We've given over $25,000 in benevolence and scholarships to those of you here in our church family, seminary scholarships, missionary scholarships, like meeting the needs of our own family. And in just the last 18 months, we've given $20,000 to the pantry. We have given away over 58,000 diapers. We are spending over $1,500 a month on diapers right now. You should see the delivery. Like some poor soul comes in their little car, chuck full of diapers, and then they go back and they come back with a car chuck full of diapers. And I think last Sunday we had four deliveries of diapers we distribute whatever clothes or supplies you've generously donated. I mean, my favorite, last October somebody donated an Iron Man costume, and I kid you not, the very first car in line, their son got to dress up as Iron Man last Halloween because one of you donated an Iron Man costume. And then we pray over each and every prayer request that our guests have shared before we go home. And something I want to let you know, we we fund all of the diapers and wipes through hands and feet, and that's simply to ensure that we always have sufficient inventory on hand. Um, But we are beginning to accept more donations, uh, clothing and supplies for babies and children. Not adults, not food, unless it's baby food or formula. But as you're thinking about donations, I want you to keep this phrase in mind donate with dignity in mind. Can you say that one with me? Donate with dignity in mind, the dignity of the guests that we are giving this to. And so for clothes, they need to be in style, no rips, no tears, no stains. If you wouldn't dress your child in it, we'll want it. Supplies, they need to be fully functional and in good working condition. We're not distributing things that should have been disposed of. The pantry downstairs is not the landfill. And you guys have been so good. A friend of mine who, who does something, uh, he said when we started, he's like, we only keep about 20% of what's donated. You guys have done the opposite. We're only getting rid of 20% of what you've donated. Donate with dignity in mind. But we're not just generous with our money. We're not just generous with our things. We're generous with our time. Sarah and Amratha, they are the deacons who, who built this thing, who lead this thing with the help of Mackenzie. Jeannie comes in every month to pack diapers. Aaron comes in every month to organize donations. And over 30 of you serve for four hours on the third, 30, third Saturday of each month, including our kids, right? We, we designed this and built this so that our children can come along and serve alongside of us. Not some token serving job, but an actual job that needs to be done. They're the ones running the orders from, from the parking lot down to the pantry. They're the ones running the diapers up back out to hand them out. And then this fall, we're going to take another step in growing the pantry and providing Thanksgiving meals to the guests of the pantry, something we're going to be sharing about in the next few weeks. And, you know, I've, I've always wondered um, if our church ceased to exist, if, if we closed tomorrow. Apparently the tacos were just horrendous and we had to close they're not, they're really good. Last year that we kind of ran out and I didn't get out there in time and I got veggie tacos, which I was like, oh, my goodness, they were so good. I wondered would our community even notice if we weren't here. And thanks to Sarah and of being ever faithful to what God had called them to, I know the answer to that question now and that answer is a definite yes. And you've been a significant part of that. Your generosity has made that possible. And I said before, we don't take up a special offering. We kind of do one special offering each year, and we call that Above and Beyond. And every year, November, December, we hold our Year and Above and Beyond giving campaign, where we give above and beyond our normal offering, and we invest that back into our community, into other churches, and here in our own church. This is how we funded some of our renovation projects, uh, <laughs> such as the lobby as of late. And um, consider this the teaser trailer. Have you ever noticed um, buckets in the sanctuary the day after it rains? There's like there's a stain back there the size of Rhode Island. That's where the leak always comes. Um, if you've seen those buckets, you might have an idea of what we as elders are praying to invest in this next year. Those are some of our unique expressions of this distinctive ways that we're collectively growing in generosity, generous with all that God has blessed us with as a church family. And I wanna close by sharing three ways that you can grow in generosity individually, three steps you can take. And the first is this, be generous with your finances. I realize that generosity is about more than just finances, but it is about that. And so be generous with your finances and you can take a step today by giving on the app if you're not already giving or by setting up recurring giving on the app if you're not already giving regularly. And hear me, your financial generosity is what enables us to do everything that we do, and rarely do we charge for what we do. Little hint, the tacos out there, they're covered. We got that. So if you're like, I don't wanna go pay for tacos, don't worry. But VBS this year, none of our families paid to go to VBS. And if you feel as though you don't have much to give. You're wondering if like that, that little amount that I would give, would it even make a difference? I want you to know this. Generosity is not about how much you have, but what you do with what you have. Right? Generosity is not about how much you have, it is about what you do with what you have. And so be generous with your finances. Number two, be generous with your time. Be generous with your time. And you can take a step today by registering to serve at this Saturday's pantry if you're not already registered. I checked before service, there's only six people registered, so we need about 25 more adults and kids to come and serve this Saturday. Register to serve at the pantry or join a Sunday morning missional team if you're not already serving. Or you can serve in other missional ways. Rob made up a new phrase last week, missional ways. It's uh, come and serve at our next home improvement project day. Come and help out in various ways throughout the week. And if you see something that you think you could take on and do, just come and ask us and we'll get you set up to go do that. But also take a step of being generous with your time by loving one another and loving one another well. And a step you can take today, when you fill out the info card, there's a little pull down underneath loving one another. Yes or no, check yes. And when someone in our church lets us as elders and pastors know of a need, We send a text message out to that group, to those who have checked yes, so that together we can meet that need. And so take a step today, making this church your church by jumping in and giving back. Be generous with your time. And number three, be generous with your life. Be generous with your life. And you can take a step today by essentially doing the things we talked about two weeks ago in hospitality. right, take a step today by meeting someone new to you today out front when we have tacos together. Maybe the person in front or behind you in line. And you'll know they're new to you if you don't know their name or you've forgotten your name. You can ask them their name. Meet someone new to you. Be generous with your life by, by inviting someone out for lunch. N- not today. We're inviting you all out to lunch for tacos. But some other day, invite them out for lunch or invite them over to your home for dinner. And share your, share your story with them as you share a meal with them. Be generous with your, your life by asking someone how you can pray for them, not if, but how, and then don't just say you'll pray, but stop and pray. Thank you, Jason. Don't just say you'll pray, stop and pray in the moment. And be generous with your life by, by hosting a meetup and going and doing the things you already enjoy doing, but, but inviting others to do them with you. Like, hospitality and generosity, like they're, they're one and the same opening ourselves to others, and giving our life to others. And what you will find is that as you grow in gratitude for all that God has given you, no matter how much or how little that may be, you will grow in generosity with what you have to give, knowing that generosity is not about how much you have, but what you do with what you have. And so what will you do with the blessings God has bestowed upon you? What will you do with the gifts God has entrusted to you? What will you do? How will you respond? What step are you going to take today to grow in generosity? Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.